The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello and welcome to the Big Blue Preview Podcast, part of SB Nation and the Vox Media Network. I am Dan Pizzuta. I am joined here by Chris Flum and we're getting ready to preview the Giants' Week 5 game against the Carolina Panthers. Giants coming in at 1-3. and three. The Panthers had a weird week 4 bye because for some reason teams need rest after 3 weeks. But they come into this game 2-1. and one. Chris, you excited for this game? Um, I'll say yes. I feel like if I don't say yes, it'll wind up being an exciting game and I'll just feel stupid for not being excited. Yeah, I, I feel you with the hesitation there. Giants football has not been super fun to watch over the first four weeks of the season. Oh. Maybe that'll change this week, but they're going to be going into Carolina and a team they're somewhat familiar with just because of how much back and forth there's been between these two rosters over the past year. It honestly has become almost a running gag at this point that if, you know, once the Giants hired Dave Gettleman, Dave Gettleman hired mike shula and then if you have carolina panthers on your resume odds are you are going to wind up being a giant oh and special teams coordinator as well uh, at this point i honestly think i've lost count of how many panthers are or have been members of the giants between the first round of free agency the later rounds of free agency and then the waiver wire and everything after the final cutdowns it's been kind of crazy yeah it kind of felt like through training camp almost every other day there was some type of former panther getting cycled in or out just through that whole process so we have dave gettleman's former team dave gettleman's current team and one of them is slightly better than the other one we could say and that is not the one dave gettleman is currently running no it it's been an ugly start with the exception of their uh, game in Houston. It's been an ugly start to the season for the giants. I suppose we could maybe put an exception for the Jacksonville game. That's a good team and they played them close, but yeah, we'll just say ugly. 
Yeah, that's that's a safe word for it, I think. Uh, Definitely not pretty. Uh, So it might not get much prettier in this game. Uh, Carolina's, again, only played three games, but in those games, kind of been significantly better. If we break it down here, Carolina is eighth in Football Outsiders DVOA. Again, that's their team efficiency metric. They're sixth in offense. Uh, What's surprising is they're only 24th in defense, uh, but they're 4th in special teams. The Giants come in 26th in DVOA, 22nd on offense, 28th on defense, and 21st on special teams. So if you're just looking at those numbers across the board, that is not going the Giants' way. No, not not at all. The difference on the special teams, for me, is probably the scariest. Because that, no matter who they try... That always seems to be a hold-your-breath moment. It's really amazing that not only it's not like they can't even find someone who can return kicks or punts well. It's they've struggled to find people who can catch the ball when they're back there. Like yeah. it's it's an adventure it's... just with the ball landing in the returner's hands, which I I feel like that shouldn't be and a hard. <laughs> yeah, it it shouldn't be a hard bar to get above but apparently that's that's where we are with giants returners here i suppose we could take a moment you know recognize how much aldrich rosa has improved because he definitely has over last year but if you're talking about your kicker improving it's not good times (laughs) yeah special teams has not been great and dwayne harris who was not really great during his Giants tenure was just AFC special teams player of the week for Oakland so apparently you get off the Giants you become a good special teams player again Uh, so that's kind of how this season has gone while we do that we let's stop talking about special teams for a little bit no we can get into when the Giants have the ball and let's look at their offense we spent a lot of time talking about the offense out of the New Orleans game. The lack thereof. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about the offense in the days between the New Orleans game and when we're talking now. So when when we were doing that review after the Saints game, I brought up a point that I kind of thought I was going to be on an island about how the one constant in all of these offenses has been Eli Manning. I did not think that was going to get a lot of traction, but there's been a lot of talk about how Eli has played over the first four weeks of the season. And, and I think a lot of people, a lot more than I thought, are, are concerned through this point. Yeah, and it definitely is a concern. You know, while we were setting this up, I was scrolling through the next-gen stats, passing stats, and the one thing that jumped out at me is the difference between game one and game two game two and game three and game three and game four in eli's aggressiveness percentage which they define as percentage of passes thrown into coverage basically if there's a defender within a yard of the receiver when they catch the ball the first week eli was not bad about 19 percent of his passes were into coverage then weeks two and week four which i think we can both agree are definitely his worst performances Week two was 13.6% of his passes were considered aggressive by next-gen stats. And then week four, 
just 9.8% of them, which was fifth lowest in the league. Week three against Houston, he was up above 20% and the sixth most aggressive quarterback in the league that week. Okay, so there's a lot of layers there. And there's a few we just cannot know right now. Right. Aggressiveness, how they label it, isn't always a good really thing. aggressive. Yeah. It's yeah. it's not always a good thing. So I actually dug into a lot of these next gen stats over the offseason just to kind of see what they meant because the NFL kind of put these out but didn't put a whole bunch of context around them. So I kind of dug in as as much as I could with the data that was available to kind of look at this. So I kind of looked at how all these next-gen stats correlate to quarterback performance. And the four I really looked at were aggressiveness, the time to throw, intended air yards, which is basically the, the average depth of target, and air yards to the sticks, which is how much further or how much behind a quarterback throws to the first down line on every pass. The only stat of those four that had a a negative correlation on the quarterback stats that I looked at, which were completion percentage, touchdown percentage, interception percentage, and yards per attempt. Aggressiveness was the worst in all of them. So throwing into tight coverage, it's not a good thing to do at a high volume. So if we look at like what the Chiefs have done with Patrick Mahomes so far, his numbers have kind of gone up in the past couple weeks, but through the first two weeks, he was throwing to into tight coverage like 9%. He's at 13.8% right now, which is kind of around the league average, it looks like. When you look at guys like Aaron Rodgers is throwing at 10.9, Kirk Cousins is 12.2, Ben Roethlisberger is 12.4, Jared Goff, let's look at that, is 13.4, which is the eighth lowest. And that's drawn up by scheme. You can scheme wide receivers open to get those throws. I think when we look at Eli and we look at his throws that really aren't into coverage, those are those are the checkdowns. When he's passing up things downfield and he's you know throwing to, to Saquon Barkley, who's just kind of hanging out at the line of scrimmage, he's throwing to one of the receivers who only did a little swing route. Those are the types of open receivers Eli has been throwing to, while a lot of these quarterbacks who are throwing at a smaller percentage of targets into tight coverage, those are all happening more downfield. And, and the Giants just haven't been able to create those throws exactly or Eli has chosen not to take them or he's being coached to not put the ball in jeopardy and I that's the thing we cannot know we don't know what's going on in the meeting room or when they're teaching that this week's game plan Right, so I have heard some things that it is a point of emphasis that they've been pointing to Eli that they don't want him to turn the ball over. And that's concerning to this point because if it was just something Eli was doing, then maybe it could be fixed. Someone can tell him, hey, we would like you to to throw the ball downfield a little more. But if it's Eli and the coaches who both agree on this type of mentality when he's throwing the ball, then man, that just... I don't know. I don't see a path how that changes then, and that's kind of scary. And I think you heard 
if you heard any of the interviews that Eli has done over the past uh, week or so after the New Orleans game, he's stressing all the time. He doesn't want to throw an interception. He doesn't want to take a sack. But to this point, he's so scared of that and so risk-averse there that it's a detriment to the offense. Yeah, and the language he was using when he, especially talking about risk, that just had the ring to me of a coach coming out of a player's mouth, so to speak. Uh, You used to hear it a few times when uh, Justin Pugh was interviewed when Ben McAdoo was the head coach. You you could hear phrases that you just knew the head coach was stressing, and it was the leader of the team trying to buy in and echo that in the locker room. And there have been other times, like when Tom Coughlin was the coach, and you'd hear some of his catchphrases come out of players' mouths. That's more concerning, I think, to me than if it was just Eli. If you look at Big Blue Blue, Mark Schofield, who great at breaking down quarterbacks, he had a piece up this week kind of looking at Eli's decision-making and the kind of risk aversion he's been taking. And there were there were a couple throws where Mark said, yeah, I, I agree with checking down here. There were a couple throws where it was, yeah, he probably could have taken a shot downfield. And I think he kind of... He does need to do that a little more. But I think there was there was one thing Mark said in his piece, and it was, you know, he was talking about one of the throws he agreed with checking down, and he said, at the time Eli made the decision, there was nothing open. But uh, I think my problem is the times Eli is making the decision, because there's been a couple of throws that I've kind of gone back and watched where routes are still developing downfield. Whether it's Eli's internal clock and whether that's been kind of... Sped up. (laughs) Yeah, sped up from the amount of times he's had pressure in his face over the past couple years. But at the time he is deciding to throw, those downfield routes haven't developed yet. The play is still ongoing, and there's times when Eli, he has time to let those develop, but he's so panicked that he needs to get the ball out, and I, I think that's a big issue, and if that's not going to be fixed, then then I, I really just don't know. Yeah, the answer, at least here, I think, is kind of in the, at least I'm leaning towards it being in the hands of the coaches. They almost have to calm him down and just say, Eli, just go play some football. Just be yourself. Because he's got the accuracy and he's got the intelligence to play this scheme. We've seen it. But he almost needs to rediscover the gunslinger side of him. Yeah, so I think one thing I also wanted to talk about, which is a related issue, is Odell Beckham's deep target. So I put up a video... Tuesday, maybe it was Monday. I don't even remember at this point. Uh, I collected the clips of all of Beckham's deep targets so far this season. I did not editorialize it at all. I just kind of put it out there as these are the deep targets. I put the video up and it just kind of went all over and there were a lot of opinions on it. There were a lot of, oh, Eli's so terrible. There was a lot of, oh, Odell's not open. So... I'm not sure if that was a totally productive thing to do on my part, Uh, but one of the things I did take from that is one, how few deep targets there were, and two, when those targets were happening. I think there there were eight 
deep targets, four of them came in the fourth quarter. So they're not throwing to Beckham deep until they're like, oh, crap, we need to push this ball down the field. Yeah. Like, it's not something that's part of the game plan early. Yeah, definitely concerning. That's also when you see the when they start pushing him downfield, pushing the ball downfield, just in desperation mode. That's when you start to see the offense start to, I don't want to say click, but at least do something. Yeah, just like anything. It just it's not I mean I've never been an offensive coordinator. I can't imagine it's that hard to scheme up something to get Beckham down the field and open like early in the game just to get a shot. I the last game against Houston, they tried getting him the ball, but the first or second play from scrimmage was an end around to Beckham. Just mm-hmm. like throw him the ball further down the field. Like, I, I get you're trying to manufacture touches, but end-arounds aren't the way to do it. And that's, like, the team mentality here. I just, I don't understand it. Yeah, it's like Brian Baldinger said. You did not pay Odell Beckham all this money to be a possession receiver. That's not who he is. Sure, he can do it because he's amazing at football, but he has such a unique skill set. you got to use him. And you have to use him like a, the weapon he is. The problem is it it might be a little tough against this Panthers defense. And so let's go into that matchup a little bit. We kind of talked at the top. The Carolina defense overall is not super great. You know, 24th in DVOA, but they're 20th in yards allowed per drive. Uh, they're a little better at 15th in points allowed per drive. Uh, but when we break it down a little bit more, they're... Eighth in DVOA against opposing number one receivers. That's going to be Odell Beckham. Uh, James Bradbury uh, has been really good this year. He had a really good rookie season, a little step back last year, uh, but he's back to playing pretty well again. So he's going to be on Beckham a lot. Uh, The Panthers are sixth against number two receivers, and they're ninth against running backs in the passing game. So the Giants' strengths at number one, number two, and running back also Carolina's strengths so far in coverage. Where Carolina is a little weak, they're 22nd in DVOA against other wide receivers, which is wide receiver three and below on the depth chart, and they're 30th against tight ends. But do you know what the Giants don't have in the passing game right now? Evan Ingram. Are other wide receivers <laughs> and a pass-catching tight end. Evan Ingram would have been such a great weapon to have against this Panthers defense who they still use, I think a little bit more man coverage than they have in the past, but they still run a lot of cover three and just hit those seam passes with the tight end. And Ingram can do it better than most. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's why they got him. That's not always how they've used him. That's very (laughs) rarely how they've used him. That's another frustrating part of this offense. But yeah, that's that's why you had Ingram. And and as much as we do like Rhett Ellison for his role, he's not the guy that's going to take advantage of that. So the Giants are going to have to go strength against strength here. They're going to have to go against two good outside corners uh, who are playing pretty well. The linebackers have been covering up running backs really well. And that's that's what the Giants have on offense. Uh, so they're really going to have to to put some stress on that defense there. 
And hopefully it involves moving Beckham around a little more. Hopefully, again, for like the fifth episode in a row, it involves <laughs> moving Saquon Barkley around a little more. But I, I will see how the game plan goes. You would hope the offense at least looks different. Whether it does well or not, who knows? But at least, hopefully, it looks different and they're trying something else. I think that's kind of what we can hope for. Yeah, just some evidence that they're trying to improve it, not just say, this is our scheme, this is what we're doing. If it isn't working, then reality obviously must be wrong. They can't do that. They have to try something. Yeah, and, and Shermer was supposed to you know, be one of those guys who come in and go, okay, I can fit what I do to, to what I have around me. But that just it hasn't been the case so far, unless the reality is Eli can only throw these little dump-offs and Shermer's doing the best he can. I mean, there's a non-zero chance that's the reality here, but I, I guess we'll, we'll see. So I, I guess we can move on a little bit. I think one thing we can also look at when the Giants have the ball and when Carolina is on defense, just because this is something we've brought up every other episode <laughs> and we can actually do it now, is we're going to see Eric Reed on the field. He was signed by the Panthers uh, last week. They had a bye, so he's gotten full week of practice here. Uh, he's probably going to start at safety for Carolina and just to run down the numbers again on Eric Reed, last year for Football Outsiders, he was 15th among safeties in success rate against the run. He was 4th in success rate against the pass. He was 3rd in yards allowed per pass. So we're going to see a, maybe it's not a what might have been because the Giants apparently had no interest, but it's a, probably a what should have been uh, because the Giants are still Should have had interest. Safety. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I don't I don't know what the reason was that the Giants didn't have interest in Eric Reed, but whatever that reason was, it was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it is he's definitely an upgrade for the Panthers. You know, watching their defense, I, one of the things I noticed is that the free safety was his awareness could be an issue at a t- at times, you know, he could either lose track of the ball, lose track of where the play was going or bite way too hard on play action and be way out of position. That might not be a weakness to exploit anymore. Right. Um, and, and Reed was signed with, it still took an injury to Denora Searcy for, for Reed to be signed. They're still going to roll out Mike Adams, who's fine. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. We get to see Eric Reed on the field. And for someone who enjoys watching Eric Reed play football, that is cool to see. So I, I think that does it probably for when the Giants have the ball. I think we can move over to the other side of the ball when the Giants are on defense and Carolina is on offense. And there's probably no other place we can start than the Reed option, which... You know, I, I think maybe we'll blow this a little bit out of proportion because there's a limited amount of plays that actually are read option plays in a given game. It's not like these offenses are like 50% read option. That's just not the case. Even when we talk about RPOs, they're a very small subset of plays inside an offense. But when you're looking at the Panthers offense and the Giants defense that has not been able to stop it at all, 
it could come up really big. Oh, definitely. And the Panthers run it better than most teams. Well, we'll say mostly because of Cam Newton, because he's just not normal. And he was also really, really good at running the option in Auburn. So he's been doing it for a long time. He does it really well. His ball handling is very impressive. And he is just hard to stop as a runner. Yeah, he's he's bigger than your linebackers. He might be bigger than some of your defensive linemen, depending on how big your defensive linemen are. So it's just, size-wise, it's hard to bring him down. And then you add in how good he actually is as a runner. So the Panthers have this year league-leading 182 yards on option plays. that 6.1 yards per play. Cam Newton per sports Info Solutions data. Uh, he has 17 carries and 98 yards on designed runs or option plays. If you take that just down to option keepers, it's six carries for 50 yards. So he's able to get these chunk plays off of this. And when you're trying to move the chains, or if you have a third down and and you just need to move the ball and you need to gain yards, that's something the Panthers go to, and it's something that the Giants still haven't been able to stop. You know, you had Taysom Hill come in with the Saints last week, and you pretty much knew it was going to be an option play. They weren't going to let him throw. Uh, he did once, but they they still couldn't stop it. And And the read option is a designed read where if you read it correctly, the offense should always be right. Yeah, and... Defending the read option is something just well-known in the NFL by now. It's been around and used for about, what, eight years now? I mean, it has been a not exactly a core uh, offensive principle, but it's been there have been teams that have used it a lot, like the Panthers, the 49ers with Colin, Colin Kaepernick, uh, the Titans with Marcus Mariota, uh, for a while, there was a fad to, f- to try and find a quarterback who could run the read option. And then the NFL figured it out. It's The blueprint is there in college. There's tape of it all over the place. And still, the Giants just cannot figure it out. It's one thing, and, and it might be as great as the James Betcher scheme is, it might be kind of a design flaw in the defense with how aggressive they are because there's always people around the line there's always people charging and Betcher's defenses in Arizona weren't always great at defending play action either so I think there might be a bit of just the initial aggressiveness there kind of opens yourself up to these little misdirections whether it's an option or a play action so that could be a problem but we'll we'll see um i'm sure it's going to be a a heavy coaching point this week i'm sure it has been but we'll see if they have anyone who's there who can stop it yeah hopefully they will be getting uh olivier vernon back uh the participation report just came out he was a limited participant in practice. Also, Eli Apple participated fully. So that's good news on both counts. You know, especially getting if they could get Vernon back because he's prob well, you can't say he's their best front seven defender because they've got Damon Harrison there and we- we've talked about him before. But he's definitely an upgrade over Connor Barwin. 
Yeah, he is definitely an upgrade over Barwin. That probably that decreases Barwin's snaps. That probably decreases Lorenzo Carter's snaps, who, while he's shown flashes, still weren't had to be a full-time edge rusher. So that's probably better for the overall defense. But again, we're not expecting Vernon to be out on the field for 90 plus percent of the snaps no. uh, like he used to be. Um, hopefully not. So there's still going to be a rotation there. And that I think that's that's one point we can get to then also is with Vernon back, if the Giants can can get some more pressure. Carolina is, doesn't have a great offensive line, except for really right now, right tackle, Taylor Moten. Carolina was expected to be a little better at offensive line. Trey Turner's been hurt. Darrell Williams is out. So they're susceptible to, to some pressure there. And if the Giants can get there, whether it's with Vernon, whether it's someone else on the edge, whether it's maybe BJ Hill getting some more snaps, either on on the edge or in the interior, we'll we'll see if they can do that and make make Cam Newton maybe a little a little uncomfortable, uncomfortable <laughs> as as a passer. Because as well as he's run the ball, he has not been great as a passer this year. He's only got six point eight yards per attempt, which is twenty eighth in the league. They've taken some deep shots, and and some of them are open, and some of them have been dropped. Uh, so there is potential there. The, I mean, their first play against against Cincinnati was a deep pass to Torrey Smith that probably should have been caught down the sideline, and Smith dropped it. So I, I think there's there might be potential for them to break out there. But if you're rushing Newton and you can you can try to keep him contained, then that might be the way to slow down the Panthers' offense. I think that's pretty much it. That has to be the way. Their receiving core is, well, their top three receivers are Devin Funchess, Jarius Wright, and Torrey Smith. And none of them, at one point, Torrey Smith was scary. But at this point, eh, not so much. And if they get Eli Appleback, pair him with Janoris Jenkins, that's a matchup that should favor the Giants and should allow them to concentrate on uh, dealing with Cam Newton. Oh, and there's also Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get to him in a little <laughs> bit. It's it's crazy. So Torrey Smith is playing 76% of the offensive snaps as the number two receiver. And Jarius Wright, who I, I still think is underrated, playing 50%. Uh, but their first round pick, DJ Moore, is only playing a third of the snaps. And I feel like he's he's got to be better than than those other guys. A Tory Smith getting 76% of the snaps right now is is kind of crazy. It really is. Man, he's not as old as I thought he was, but he's only tw- only uh 29, but it feels like he's been in the league for forever. Yeah, yeah, he's been in the league since, you know, 2011, but the deep threats like that, he's I I don't think he has the same ability to win down the field as as he used to. And he's only averaging 9.6 yards per reception. Uh, his yards per reception has gone down every year since 2015. He was really good in 2015. 20.1 yards per reception. It's dropped to 13.4, 11.9 last year in Philly, and 9.6 this year. And and that's not... That's not a good trend. That's, yeah, that's not, the, that's not a good trend. And that's not what you're expecting when you put Torrey Smith in the role he's currently in so yeah there's there's definitely a weakness there at wide receiver so if you're forcing cam newton to throw 
uh, it's not always going to be positive for that offense, even though passing is usually positive for every other offense in the league. But probably unless the Panthers are throwing to Christian McCaffrey, uh, who has been quite good. He is he he's a special player. You know, he's in some ways surprisingly similar to Saquon Barkley, despite looking absolutely nothing like him. He's got he's averaging five point nine yards per attempt running the ball and seven point yards per reception catching the ball. He's their leading rusher. He's got almost four times as many carries as their number two running back, not counting Cam Newton, and almost twice as many catches as Devin Funches. He and Newton are their offense. Yeah, that's that's absolutely the case. So yeah, he's he's always been a threat catching the ball. That was the case last year when he had 80 receptions for 651 yards. But he's he's been better as a runner this year too. There was the whole last year how, you know, he couldn't run between the tackles. I, that's just not true. Ken this year, right now he has a 71% success rate running straight up the middle. And when you can add that piece to his ability to win when he's receiving, he can play in the slot, he can play on the outside. And we were kind of wondering what his role was going to be. They had Jonathan Stewart last year and they kept that almost a 50-50 split. Then they brought in C.J. Anderson, but McCaffrey has been on the field for 93% of Carolina's offensive plays. So they want him involved, they're getting him involved, and it's working out really well because McCaffrey is good and he's been hard to stop. Yeah, he is a lot stronger than you would expect from a 205-pound running back, and that really helps him running between the tackles. He can keep his leg drive, and he actually uses that frame to get to just kind of squirt between gaps that almost don't even look like they're there. And then when he's in the open field, he's just very, very tough to stop, tough to catch, tough to bring down. And honestly, I'm not surprised that he's having the success running the ball this year that he is. So that was something I noted, noted uh, watching him at Stanford is that he is a, he was a more talented runner of the football than he really got credit for. It was his receiving ability that got people excited, but he's not a gadget player. He's a running back. No, absolutely. He's uh, he also is a wide receiver. Right. Yeah, he's so he's ninth among running backs in just overall success rate running the football. And he he did struggle a little bit with that last year. There's there's no kind of glossing over that, no. but the reason for those struggles of Carolina just not being great on the offensive line, even though they had Andrew Norwell. He's been much better this year, so he can run the ball, and that makes him a little bigger of a threat when he can sneak out of the backfield and catch the ball. And yeah, again, that is that is going to be the Carolina offense. It's going to be Cam Newton. It's going to be Christian McCaffrey, whether that's on the ground or, or through the air. Yeah, yeah so McCaffrey I, leads the team in targets, uh, leads the team in receptions. He doesn't have a touchdown yet, but he had a he had a 45-yard run right up the middle against Cincinnati last week, and the, the Giants are just going to have to watch out for that. And they've been 
pretty good defending running backs in the passing game this year. They're eighth in DVOA. They've only allowed 40 yards per game. Kind of I don't want to say shut down Alvin Kamara in the passing game, but he didn't have many big plays in the passing game, although he did have the 145 yards rushing. (laughs) Yeah, That's a bit of an issue. Yeah, it's kind of a pick your poison there, but typically when you have a running back like that, if you can take him away in the passing game, that's good. You'll take your chances on the ground. But yeah, Kamara was just able to, to burst through. Uh, McCaffrey definitely has the ability to do that, so I I don't know. We'll we'll see how how the Giants can handle that. Yeah, and then there's the fact that he's in the backfield with Cam Newton, so you always have the threat of the power run as well. So even if he's split out, you still have a running back in the backfield. There's really no place where the Panthers' offense allows you to rest. Maybe when it's a straight Cam Newton drop back, but then he's still. Uh, he's still a threat to scramble, and I think Cam is a bet is a much better thrower than he's given credit for. He is good at throwing the ball. The receiving options not great right now, and they're not doing him a lot of favors. Um, so, I mean, this I think this offense definitely has a chance. I mean, it's already sixth in DVOA. So, I mean, this offense is already really good, and the Giants have they really haven't been great on defense. So there was a pretty interesting stat I found while I was just kind of digging around. So we kind of talked about after after the New Orleans game, how the Giants were kind of letting the Saints drive, but holding them to field goals. And that has kind of been a trend so far this year. So on 21 of the Giants, 38 defensive drives. So that's like 55%. Those drives for opposing offenses has either ended with a three and out or they've ended with a field goal. So on more than half the Giants <laughs> drives, if if they're not holding the offense to a three and out, they're probably driving down and kicking a field goal. It's like one of the weirdest <laughs> splits I've ever seen. But it kind of fits. It fits with the way the season is going. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. And I, I think I think that's one of the concerns because the Giants have been really good on third down, actually kind of on both sides of the ball, but that is concerning. Uh, I think we brought this point up before, but when you're looking for predictive ability on some of these stats and what's going to come in the future, first and second down is more indicative of future performance than third down, and that's true on both sides of the ball. And if we look at some of these stats uh, from SB Nation, Bill Conley thankfully has a has gotten into the NFL pool a little bit. He's done so much for college statistics. So he has the Giants through four weeks. They are 23rd on offense in success rate on standard downs, but they go up to 13th on third down. The Giants defense is 29th in standard down success rate, but 7th on third downs. And a lot of people would look at that and be like, yeah, we're really good at third downs. That means they they play well when they need to, and they're getting stops. But when you look over the course of a larger sample and those plays continue to grow, usually that third down regresses back to the standard downs more than the standard downs goes up to the third down. So I think that's something to watch for the Giants going forward, and that's something to possibly be concerned about going forward too. Definitely. It, 
it will be interesting to see what kind of an effect getting Olivia Vernon back will have to finally have, you know, an actual edge rusher that offenses need to account for because they haven't had that yet this year. They've been able to generate some pass rush with blitzes or have guys maybe not expect stepping up like BJ Hill or Kerry Wynn, you know, guys like that, but they haven't had just that guy who just can that strikeout pitcher. Yeah, that's true. And they they should be getting him back, whether it's really at full health or 100%. We won't know, but it'll, it'll be good to see. It'll be a good test for the Giants defense to kind of see where that goes at full health, especially if Apple's back, um, getting all of those guys back together. We'll we'll see how how that goes. Going to be quite a matchup. It's not going to be an easy matchup. I think I I don't think anyone will have any delusional thinking in <laughs> in that the giant this version of the Giants will be going down to Carolina and and really some pulling out some surprising game. I wouldn't see that happening. Maybe there's more optimistic people than I am. Uh, that's certainly possible. <laughs> Well, if we saw it coming, it wouldn't be a surprise. That is the Giants' motto, I think, for the past, <laughs> like, four or five years. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, so so with that, uh, I think we can, we can end there. You can find us wherever you find your podcast. Please subscribe and rate and review if you would be so kind. That does mean a lot, and that helps us out quite a bit. We'll be back on Monday with a review of this Panthers game. So thanks for hanging out, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Verge Cast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.